All right, you ready? Yeah. Oh, whoa, Bruni, look at that shirt. Where'd you get that? Oh. Look at this. Mm. You see this? Yeah, I do, do see it. Do stand, I up. stand up. Yeah, you get to stand up real quick. Look at that. Mm. Super Pit, North Texas. Mm-hmm. Where's the logo? The home field logo's on here. Look at that. Wow. Look at Speaking that. of home field, we are working with uh, home field to give y'all 10% off all orders, 50% off your first order. If you guys buy some merch like Bruni, Bruni, stand up again. Oh. Show, show off the shirt. Show off Good the transition. Shirt. Look at us. Look at that. Look at that shirt. You could, you guys can get 10% off or 15% off that shirt with code MGREEN on home field. They give unique designs, going to the archives of the school and actually finding something cool about the school instead of just putting North Texas on a t-shirt. Not only that, you guys want to use TCU, SMU, Oklahoma, whatever, because you're fake North Texas fans. Uh, also use the M green code because it'll also work for us. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, I have, I hopefully have some stuff on the way. I've been waiting. Uh, Bernie, I don't know if you have anything else on the way, but not right now. Not at the yeah. moment. Yeah. Not the moment. This is the one I really wanted. I really wanted this, this, um, super pit one. I, I love this shirt. Oh man. It is 50% cotton and 50% polyester. Mm, so it's, it feels nice. It feels it's nice. A nice material. Very yeah. nice material. It, it's, <laughs> I, I wore it to bed. I wore it to sleep. God, I wore it to bed. You just catch yourself on the face with it. I love it. I love it. Um, but again, uh, in case Colin missed anything, um, we really are excited about this partnership with Home Field Apparel through the Dave Campbell's Republic of Football Podcast Network. Uh, North Texas launch or Home Field launched its North Texas Apparel line. What are we two weeks ago? Two weeks, yeah. And a ton of people bought the stuff, used our code. We saved a ton of money as a collective community mm. using the code. Uh, again, 15% off your first usage of the of it and 10% every time after that. So you can still buy it. Uh, use the code 10% off all orders. Um, and yeah, Colin basically summed up the rest pretty well. If you're interested, visit the Homefield website at homefieldapparel.com. Super easy to use and you can access their wide-ranging selection of teams shop at home field and use our discount code m green at checkout to get your discount not only that i'm not sure if this is legal to say or not but you could probably just create a bunch of new accounts and get 50 percent off so hey you know let's do what you gotta do we're all struggling out here so <laughs> just or just call in or just put them all into one when you first order and just use fifteen percent off code there. You know. Yeah, just buy every shirt. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that way you don't have yeah. to buy a second. Good point. That's a good point, Bruni. Honestly, it is amazing how many people have bought home field stuff. I it yeah. blew me away. In all seriousness, thank you guys for using our code. It's it's really awesome. Yeah, it has been amazing. So thank you all for doing that. And uh, yeah, we'll get into our podcast now, our interview with Billy and Body, and then we will talk North Texas basketball after that. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Green Room Podcast. I'm Matthew Bruni, and joining me once again is Colin Mitchell. And today we are joined by Billy Embody of the mm. Pony on the Pony Express. Billy, um, it's it's weird. We we work together covering LSU, and here we are talking about our alma maters. But that's how we met, right? That's how we got into this thing together. Yeah, it, it's been a fun ride. Well, I would say it's been an up and down ride covering an, our alma maters, right? Uh, it's just, 
Uh, they, they take one step forward and then one step back at times, it seems like. But, hey, they keep us coming back for more, right? Mm. Exactly. Exactly. That's why you, you run the, the on3 side over there. We run the podcast. It's, we got to keep connections in it. That's that's the big thing. Um, we I have a lot of questions about this SMU team. And this is how we're, we're starting out. We're going to do our whole opponent preview series. But there's this is the one I'm most excited for because I get to talk to you, but also because SMU is – the biggest North Texas rival, I think UTSA is, is quickly approaching it, which I think from, yeah, you know, obviously Conference USA standards, like UTSA was the one for me that I was look, always looking forward to playing. Um, but SMU now in the same conference, um, we can go through last year first, seven and six season, four one possession losses. I looked at a lot of close games there. Um, first year under Rhett Lashley, just how would you describe – what last year was for SMU. Yeah, it was a, an interesting season. And I, I think the thing with the SMU program is each coach before has left it in a better spot. So when Rhett Lashley walked in last year for that 2022 season, expectations were very high. You had Tanner Mordecai coming back. Uh, you had a team that uh, they were able to pretty much hold together. Um, even as Sonny Dykes went to TCU, there was a lot of rumors that TCU was going to grab some SMU players, but that was kind of what he was dealt with right away was holding that roster together and they did it. And then they went out and added some players out of the transfer portal. Um, they obviously had Rasheed Rice who took a huge step um, and that's putting it mildly yeah. in his game. Um, but you look at what SMU was able to do and it is kind of a season of what ifs um, in terms of where they could have gone. Uh, Tanner Mordecai, one of the things he wasn't able to do is avoid the big turnover in big games. We saw it against uh, Maryland with a fumble that, I mean, his knee was down, but they called it a fumble. They upheld it a fumble, and that cost them uh, a scoring opportunity, and and they end up losing that one by one possession. TCU, they came out flat, but mm -hmm. SMU closed the gap and were a bizarre penalty on a punt uh, away from uh, being able to have a shot to tie it at the end of the game, despite falling behind by, I think, 20-plus points yeah. early in that one. Um, and then you kind of look at, you know, Cincinnati is the same story, a one-possession game. UCF, they just pulled away from SMU. That one wasn't close. And then SMU didn't really get off the bus for Tulane. But what SMU did do was they got off the mat uh, at the tail end of the season, which they haven't been able to do. Uh, yeah. whether it was Sonny Dykes, whether it was Chad mm -hmm. Morris, uh, SMU, I, I want to say they had won something like three combined November games in you know, three previous seasons. They just wow. were never able to finish. And last year they finished, I think, four and one uh, in their last five games. Yeah, four and one in their last five regular season games. And, you know, Tulane was the one that obviously SMU went into it with a shot to go to the AAC championship. We all know who, how Tulane ended up uh, doing with their season. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it's it's just a season you look back on and you see a lot of good um, with beating Houston, beating Memphis, holding off a late charge. They went up to Tulsa and got their first win up there uh, since, I think, the early 2000s. Um, it's just mm -hmm. always was, been a tough place for SMU to play. And so they kind of uh, got rid of some demons in some sense, but – it, it is just a season you look back on with some missed opportunities for SMU to 
make more noise in the AAC. And also they missed out on, on grabbing a marquee power five win too. What did you learn about Lashley's style? Obviously he was at uh, Miami after he already started as awesome as a coordinator. Was there anything that was a lot different than, than what Sonny did? Yeah, I I think with coach Lashley and his staff, they really uh, did a better job. I think identifying who, was emerging in the season as, as players that they can rely Mm -hmm. on. You know, Tyler Levine was, I think probably you could probably pull up the stats as I'm talking about him, but uh, against North Texas, I don't think he did much at all, Uh, but he ends up being the guy for SMU in the back half of the season. Uh, He had some, he had a big game against TCU in 2021 that a lot of people remember, Um, but they kind of went away from, you know, their initial group of running backs, whether it would be, uh, Trey Siggers or um, Belton Gardner. And mm-hmm. they, those two guys kind of had some injuries. Kamar Wheaton was kind of up and down and uh, they leaned on Tyler Levine. And I, I think that was a really nice thing to see is realizing that they could rely on him and he was productive. Um, Roger Daniels, who left the team uh, and was intending to transfer and his dad had passed away and he went through a lot and he ended up coming back to the team and he ends up being a key player down the stretch. Uh, we saw what the development looked like with Rasheed Rice. SMU's offensive line, especially in pass protection, was the best it's been um, in years. And yeah. uh, they gave, uh, you know, Tanner Mordecai, Preston Stone, Kevin Jennings, whoever was playing quarterback, a good bit of time to go through their progressions. Um, defensively, they took a step forward in the secondary. There were times that it wasn't uh, great. Um, and the the tackling was pretty poor. They um, they they really struggled getting guys on the ground when they had opportunities. You could tell they were playing hard. It just wasn't a good it wasn't a good enough roster defensively um, to to make some noise and to be uh, even a uh, kind of respectable uh, defense uh, nationally. Mm-hmm. The big thing with Lashley is I think we learned that he's put in place the right strength and conditioning coach, and mm-hmm. that's evidenced by the way they finished. Uh, that's a, that's a team that really played hard for this coaching staff, which also stood out to me down the stretch. There were times where you were kind of waiting for SMU to take that fall and fall out of the picture completely. But instead, they finished uh, four and one over the last five games. They earned a bowl berth, which was the first time SMU's earned a bowl under a first year coach since the 1980s. Wow, this this team really plays hard for for Lashley and his staff, and I, I think that is as you kind of evaluate them going into twenty twenty three, with the talent they've upgraded on defense, they've got some pieces back on offense to be very good again. That's what could be the difference of you know this team being another bold team, or playing for an AAC championship. Yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of the AAC conference realignment happens, and SMU is. Still in the American. I know you've talked about it on your podcast a lot. Um, I haven't tuned into every podcast, unfortunately. Sorry, Billy. But uh, how big is the push to find another conference? And where do you think that they could reasonably move in in the next three, four, however long years um, if they do leave? The, the whole push is really centered around the Pac-12 right now. That's been the league that SMU is long been in the running for. I mean, it, it's been a process that's been going on for the last year and a half uh, with the leadership of SMU pushing to get into the Power Five ranks. Um, there's been, you know, buzz here about the Big 12. Well, they took 
their four teams, and it, it doesn't look like SMU is an option for them. They've even talked with the ACC, which a lot of people feel like they fit a little bit better there uh, overall. But the Pac-12 is what has really emerged as the league that, from everything I hear, and, and you kind of see it nationally a little bit too with the, the guys that cover realignment day in, day out, SMU is a big factor in Pac-12 expansion alongside San Diego State. And the thing about SMU is they'll pay whatever buyout, they'll pay whatever it takes to get there as soon as possible. And so they're kind of in this waiting game, like everyone else really is, watching to see what the Pac-12 does with its media rights deal. And once that deal is completed, the expectation is they're going to expand by two and take San Diego State and SMU. And um, from talking with sources at SMU, the the bill for an early departure from the AAC, if if all that happens and falls into place, to play in the Pac-12 in 2024 is is certainly on the table. Yeah, they'll cover whatever the cost is. Is what yeah. you're saying. They pick they'll it up. They'll make it back. They'll make it back. It seems weird though, because it's like I don't know. I feel like in my mind, I always think Pac-12 is West Coast, and then you add SMU. Is that at all like a weird thing? <laughs> yeah, I know that is like the probably the weird piece of it. Yeah, uh, because if you look to the ACC, that you're stretching it, you know, from the yeah. East Coast all the way out to mm-hmm. you know Texas, but it's it's at least one time zone. It's not, uh, and and they don't have like a yeah, you know, New York school up there that you got to yeah. travel all the way to like a UW or a Washington state or Oregon or Oregon state. <laughs> yeah. You know, those are long, <laughs> long trips. You're yeah. taking the big plane on those ones. Yeah. Um, if you're, if you're SMU and you get into the PAC 12. And so it is a little weird, but one thing I'll say, and I think you guys you know, see this being, you know, from the Dallas area is there's a lot of PAC 12 alums in Dallas, you know, a lot of Oregon, a lot of Arizona, Colorado, um, you know, even UW and, and places like that, it, the expectation is, and we've kind of seen this with Houston as their Big 12 schedules now on the table and the amount of tickets they've sold. We're expecting, I, I think, SMU to see a big boost in attendance uh, if a Pac-12 schedule is there for them, um, whether it's people that want to, you know, come down and, and see Texas and, yeah. you know, do a Dallas weekend, go over to the stockyards that they want to, you know, go full blown Texan or whatever. But uh, <laughs> that, that is, it, it is a little different with how far West it is and how, how, you know, big the footprint will be, but um, it, it's just, it, I kind of hate realignment the way it's going with yeah. USC and UCLA and the big 10 now. I mean, that that's literally coast to coast. Yeah. Um, and, and it just, I'm more of a guy that I'd rather see it be regionalized um, yeah. in the best way. I agree. Um, it just, it, it's, it's weird, but it, it'd be a huge deal for SMU, obviously. Yeah. I mean, the dominoes have already started falling. So SMU, I mean, if you're SMU, you kind of just have to just fight at this point. You got to go now from, I want to talk a little bit of recruiting, not too much recruiting. I don't want to get you going all the, all the way down, down the rabbit hole, but <laughs> Where ideally, you know, with this staff, with where SMU is currently in the American still, where does SMU want to be every single year as far as whether that's a ranking perspective or just an overall perspective of on the recruiting trail where they want to be? Yeah, the the big thing right now is they want to be obviously the top group of five class and the how that looks 
has changed with the transfer portal. You know, I mean, SMU has one of the best, you know, transfer portal classes in the country in 2023 with what they brought in. Um, and that doesn't always line up with, you know, the recruiting class is ranking. That, is that going to be a every single year thing? Or is that kind of like, because we see it with Brian Kelly, obviously, where it's like he want, he's done it for two years. And then he's like, I want to wane off of it slowly. Is that the approach for SMU too? Yeah, the, the approach is probably more like, I, I think they would love to be able to bring in like a 60-40 type of split high school to transfer um, once the program has really been established and they've turned over some some pieces of the roster um, from the Sonny Dykes era. Yeah. And we're, but they're also being very careful on who they're taking, at least as it stands right now, if they're going to potentially get into the Pac-12. And their reasoning is they don't want to take a player and say, look, we think this guy could be good he might you know become something but we're not sure but we like him he's from texas or whatever they're they've actually kind of trimmed back on some of the guys that they were on early in the spring that were kind of in that boat um and they're a coaching staff that really wants to trust their evaluations too so it's hard for them in that respect but the reason why is because you know a lot of these players like going to smu and they, we haven't seen many players leave that I, I think the ones that have left were at a point in their career where they said, I'm not going to play that much. I'm mm -hmm. graduating. I want to move on and go play somewhere else. And the, on the flip side of that, the ones that are younger and you can tell maybe aren't going to play, aren't really moving on much mm -hmm. uh, because they like going to SMU or they want that degree. And that can kind of handcuff a staff when you're sitting there. And if you have some recruiting misses in terms of evaluations, then you've got a position group that could be kind of held down by some of those players. Because the tough part about being in Texas and recruiting Texas is you don't want to be letting players go left yeah. and right. And that'll really hurt you with Texas yeah. high schools. And so they, they want to supplement roster holes with the transfer portal, which makes a lot of sense. I think everybody wants to do that. Uh, but they also want to be able to find guys that, all right, instead of taking somebody out of the high school ranks that we're unsure about or aren't completely sold on, let's take a, a freshman that didn't like it at a power five school or was homesick or had an extenuating, extenu extenuating circumstance and wants to get back to Dallas. I mean, I, we saw that with Jalen Davis Robinson at LSU. Yeah. Um, he just wanted to be back home and he ends up at, L at uh, SMU now. And he, that was just one year at LSU. He's still a guy that was one of the fastest players on LSU's team. Looks like he's got some upside, but he ends up you know, transferring back home to SMU um, and playing nearby uh, his hometown of Waxahachie. So that's kind of how they're doing it. I, I think this recruiting class they're being very careful with because there could be that realignment piece looming. They, I, I think they could probably be around 10 commits and be pretty – a-okay with that and then see what the transfer portal brings and where they need to address from there yeah 10 i'm looking at it right now that four <clears throat> yeah 10 i mean it makes sense to me it would make sense for smu to be at this point i don't obviously when you go to the pac-12 like you said it's, it changes if you go to the pac-12 but in the american i feel like you can supplement with transfer portal players and just yeah. immediately yeah. reload and compete which is i mean at the quarterback position done that extremely well at a high level and now i think you can kind of just continue to do it the, the rest of positions speaking of quarterbacks i'm oh, sorry pretty did i cut you off 
No, no, no. I was no. just going to agree. Yeah. Um, speaking of quarterbacks, obviously going to next year, um, Tater Morkai is no longer there. Is Preston Stone kind of locked in as a starter? And if he is, how good, how good is he going to be, do you think? Yeah, Preston Stone is a starter. They did bring in Alex Padilla, an Iowa transfer. Uh, he's a graduate transfer. He was he started a few games, but he's a true backup. And their pitch to him was, "Hey, I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever heard somebody say a true backup before. <laughs> yeah, a true backup. A true ba- he's that, a well, he's true, what's, true what, backup. What's the definition uh, of that? <laughs> especially of uh, the definition, I would say is just somebody that is he's a program guy. He's professional." Yeah, professional. He he's like probably a Colt McCoy is a good mm-hmm. uh yeah, Colt McCoy at the in the NFL would be a good good comp to that. There's yeah. a couple others out there that just you know what? They're they're backups. And yeah. but they brought in Alex. He's a really, really high character guy. He's pushed a lot of the other players. He's also seen a lot. Um, and he did want to get into a little bit better of an offense. Um, mm-hmm. And I think coaching might be, you know, on his horizon. So kind of aligning with that, they mm-hmm. brought him in as a depth piece. Kevin Jennings has played a good bit for a guy who's just coming off a true freshman season and showed flashes of why SMU took him late, um, you know, right before he had captured that state title with Sock. Um, and then they have Keldrick Luster, who's done some really good things in high school as well, coming in this summer. But Preston is locked in uh, to being the starter. That was the reason why Tanner Mordecai is not back. Uh, they, you know, really felt like, hey, you should probably try going pro. You kind of are who you are. Um, his deep ball was a big piece to his game. Um, but he also, you know, was a little inconsistent mm-hmm. avoiding those big turnovers. And he ends up getting that draft grade and just get, ends up saying, you know what, I'm going to go to Wisconsin. And it was a kind of one of those weird situations, but – SMU is ready to go all in on Preston Stone, and that's why that happened. And I, I feel like Preston could be – he could be very, very good. He's got that ability to extend plays. Um, it, we saw early in that Tulsa game when he got the start, he was able to light it up with Rasheed Rice on the first play. Um, things were trending really well for him, and then he got hurt. Um, but then he also almost led that comeback against Cincinnati. They were a missed two-point conversion away. Yeah. from forcing overtime and that was Preston Stone um and they they that was another game where Tanner Mordecai made too many mistakes and they opted to go um with Preston Stone he might have got hurt um now that I think about it too um but either way he's now played a good bit and they're ready to turn the keys over to him I think the deep ball is probably my biggest question just kind of throwing it with conviction a little bit more because SMU has some speed now at receiver they've got Jordan Curley who have he can be healthy. He's probably the next SMU receiver to get drafted. They have Jake Bailey, who um, was SMU's leading receiver when he got hurt, I'm pretty sure. Um, and, and it was a really talented slot player. And then they have a bunch of other guys that can factor in. Roderick Daniels, uh, who I mentioned earlier, is versatile and really finished the season well. Uh, they brought in Jordan Hudson, the former five-star from TCU, who's going to factor in. Moochie Dixon, uh, another former transfer from Texas. Uh, is a guy coming off a great spring. Keyshawn Smith has big playability, and he they brought him in from Miami. And then R.J. Maryland, uh, the I think he was a true uh, freshman All-American tight end um, mm. who, who set the SMU record for touchdowns by a freshman tight end. They have pieces around him, and they have some speed. He's got to be able to throw that deep ball with a little bit mm. more conviction, but I like what he does overall managing the offense. And I will say this, the guy's really – kind of gravitate towards his leadership, his enthusiasm. I mean, he's an SMU legacy. This has been a dream for him, uh, but he's got to just 
put everything together and pretty quickly because they open with law tech who's probably going to be better but they also go on the road to oklahoma the next week then they get uh prairie view a&m and then tcu on the road so we're going to find out real quick what smu has in preston stone yeah i have written down best position unit on both sides i think that can kind of coincide with strengths of the of of the team in a way but I guess we can stick with it. What are the best position groups, I guess, on each side of the ball for you? So on offense, I think it's receiver. I think they've stacked up enough talent. You could argue running back with who they brought in. Uh, Jalen Knighton, who's explosive. LJ Johnson, another former four-star running back. They've got Kamar Wheaton, if he can put things together. Tyler Veen will be back. But I think receiver is the group that is is going to be pretty special this year if they all stay healthy, which they've kind of had struggles with that outside of Rasheed Rice the last couple of years. Um, and if they are healthy, they're going to be pretty darn good um, and and be able to really put some stress on defenses. Defensively, it is much more of a projection to, to say which group is the best. I don't necessarily think it's linebacker right now, but I'll say this. They brought in a really impressive haul on the defensive line. You have Jordan Miller, a big defensive tackle that they really missed, who came in from Miami for his final year. Elijah Roberts is somebody from Miami who really has impressed them and can play a little bit of three-tech, is going to play a a strong side defensive end, might even do a stand-up bandit kind of role. Um, And then they have Devere Levelston and Elijah Chapman coming back. They also have Nelson Paul, who can rush the passer. And they brought in Cam Robertson from uh, North Texas as well. They have a lot of pieces on that group. If that group stays healthy, I think it's going to be the best. Um, and that's saying something because I think the secondary is going to be – I think they added six new players to the secondary. Oh. And uh, I think three of them are going to start for sure. And they've got a few starters coming back in that group. So I think toss-up between secondary and, and defensive line. On the flip side of it, what are the biggest question marks on both sides? Yeah, the biggest question mark right now, I would say, is is depth at tight end. Um, mm. That is one that really kind of stands out. They they have really solidified the offensive line well, and that's a group that has, has came off a really nice season. If they have the pieces that they have healthy, that should be another really good unit. But they have RJ Maryland, and then that's kind of it. They yeah. have some guys that have been around the program but haven't really shown much. They brought in Micah Hiltz from Texas State for his final year. He's like a 6'6", 255 kind of uh, blocking tight end. They have a trio trio of uh, true freshmen who are going to try to get their name in the mix. And there's just question marks behind R.J. Maryland. Rhett Lashley likes to have at least one tight end on the field at all times, but they like you know running that kind of two tight end power spread set as well and they need somebody that can really help in pass protection and run blocking mm-hmm. and, and it's kind of a big question right now uh they even uh moved elijah chapman at times to h back and he's i think he put up 42 reps at 225 uh he's about 5'10 <laughs> 90 pounds uh, i'm not quite there i'm not, yeah, quite I'm there. not there either <laughs> I, I don't think we can get there combined boys um i hate to break it to us but uh yeah and and he really is is a quite the animal actually um and, and that could help their run game and and he's kind of in that tight end picture now i guess mm. um the biggest th- 
thing on defense is how this linebacker unit comes together because they lose three starters or basically three starters um, off last year's team, guys that have played a lot. But now they brought in Ahmad Walker, who played for Scott Simons at Liberty, and he loves him. He thinks he's a you know a really key piece to this defense. They have uh, Kobe Wilson coming in from Temple uh, as a transfer who played a good bit for the Owls. They also have Jaquandis Burns coming back, uh, who came on uh, early last year and then kind of faded uh, a little bit. So they're trying to get more out of him. And then they have true freshman Alex Kilgore, who I think as far as defensive prospects go coming through SMU, he's one of the better ones that I've seen mm-hmm. in the last probably five years. So that group, if they can piece it all together, that'd be huge. But it's one of those groups you've also got to see it to kind of believe it. Um, in terms of what they've put together on paper as far as the roster goes. Yeah. Last question. <clears throat> you mentioned the non-conference, but what did, how did SMU hold the American for hostage and not get UTSA or Tulane and get the easiest conference schedule in the entire conference? Uh, what, what kind of bribery is this that is going on with SMU? And um, I'm 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 just want to say I'm appalled. I thought y'all were trying to strengthen y'all's get resume and everything. And I look at the conference schedule, and there's no UTSA and no Tulane, just completely dodging the two best teams in the conference. Well, first of all, uh, if you think scheduling can be bad, wait till you guys see the officials in this league. Um, they get uh, <laughs> routinely roasted, uh, and rightfully so. Uh, but. Uh, Look, I mean, Mike Oresco's, you know, throwing a Hail Mary, mm-hmm. trying to keep SMU in the league. Said, yeah. hey, we'll set you up for the schedule like this each year. Honestly, though, SMU is drawn. It just seems like I think SMU is the only team right. in the league last year to face all three um, Big 12 teams, now Big 12 teams. Um, and, you know, they also had to face Memphis, which is good. They ended up facing oh. Tulane. Uh, but, uh, I'm surprised they didn't get an SMU UTSA matchup at least uh, for the first year of the new, yeah. you know, conference slate. Just kind of establish that right away. Um, SMU's played Tulane a bunch, so I think that was one they probably felt like they could move off. Uh, but this is a schedule that this is why SMU fans and rightfully so, the um, SMU should be winning ten games. SMU, if SMU doesn't win ten games. I think we're going to see not pitchforks, but people are going to be disappointed. Now, winning t- 10 games means either you drop both, uh, you know, power five uh, out of conference games against OU and TCU, and we'll see uh, how both those programs look. Um, but it, it is a, a team that the expectations are they should be playing for the AAC title. And in terms of scheduling, maybe that means the AAC was like, all right, we're going to see them play each other in December. Yeah. So we'll, we'll leave them off, but uh, it, it, it's just to the point now. And I think you and I have talked about this here and there over the years, SMU just kind of like takes a step, takes a step, but they just haven't turned that corner yet in terms of being like, they haven't played in a conference championship game. I think since this is going to be great, but since I was on the roster oh, um, <laughs> back in, back in 2010, um, you know, they end up, uh, won our division and ended up going to, uh, uh, play at UCF. And I, th- I think mm-hmm. got the b- doors blown off by, uh, Blake Bortles. Um, I could be wrong on that, but, um, it's time 
or SMU to get back to a conference championship game and to win one. And those are the expectations. And the co- the good thing is the coaching staff gets it, um, which over the years, it's always been just talking with different coaches, man, like it's so hard. It, it's, you know, it's hard to win games. It's hard to win games. It's like, yes, but look at the resources this school has. Yeah. And, and we've seen all those come together, especially the last probably three years. And it's even been taken up a notch in the last year so the time to win a conference championship is now and schedule or not um they need to do it yeah i'm again i'm just looking at the conference guys charlotte east ecu temple tulsa right ECU is going to be good i, I ECU, think ecu is going to be good so ECU is the uh, best team on the schedule uh to, tulsa might be decent as well i, I, yeah. I assume yeah i know ecu ecu is probably going to be the, the toughest game on the schedule yeah I watched Braylon Braxton at Frisco Independence. He's got a live arm, very live arm. Um, Rice, North Texas, Memphis, maybe. Like, yep. I'm not. I'm not a Seth Hennigan believer at Memphis. I'm not a. <laughs> <laughs> North Texas has its own problems. We'll see. Uh, Rice. I, I just, yeah. That that they should be. They'll probably be ten point. Like there will be a touchdown favorite in every game besides maybe ECU. You're you're gonna pick North Texas come November to win that of game anyway. So. Of course I will. Well, I mean, at this point, North Texas is going to be eight and zero, and then it'll be a meeting of eight and zero versus six and two, and that's what we need. Friday you know. night, Friday night game, right? It is uh, yeah, yes. Friday night game. Friday, Friday night game. game. Yeah. Gerald J. Ford Stadium. Maybe they can uh, sell it out, right, Billy? Part, pardon the dust on the uh, hundred million dollar uh, end zone facility. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Pardon the du- the dust that'll accumulate when nobody's in there. Just... Oh, nice, 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 nice. All right, 30 minutes, Billy. It went longer than what we were going to plan, but it's always, having fun. <laughs> always good. Always good, I know. Um, but all right, man. Uh, the what, plug, plug your on three site here because I don't have it up right now. Yeah, for the North Texas fans that want to yes. uh, keep keep a good eye on how the, the Mustangs are doing down the road, uh, check us out on theponyexpress.com. Uh, just 10 bucks a month. And, uh, you know, there are some recruiting battles that still involve SMU and North Texas. So you might find some recruiting nuggets on there and the national guys are pretty good. So yeah. um, check it out. Yeah. You get all of on three for that. So I have no yeah. problem plugging on three on yeah. here. Um, but all right, uh, Billy, we appreciate you coming on and uh, we will continue the podcast past this. Uh, we got to talk basketball. I know, mm-hmm. I know y'all don't play basketball down there, it's but it's been a rough year. It's been a rough couple years. <laughs> We're going to do our basketball section now. So, <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. All right, Billy. Appreciate it, man. All right. All right, Colin. Let's talk real quickly about North Texas basketball. Mm. Because I just I, – I'm at a loss for words at this point. Ross Hodge and Phil Forte, this whole staff, they've done it again. Yes, they have. They have added Rondell Walker, transfer from TCU, who was at Oklahoma State as a freshman in TCU – Four-star recruit. Four-star recruit. And I remember watching him at Oklahoma State as a freshman and being like, okay, this guy's got some juice. This guy yeah. can play at the Big 12 level. Goes to TCU. TCU was an interesting team last year because they were so deep, and they didn't need him. They had Mike Miles at point guard. They had Damian Ball at the two. They had guards that could back them up um, that were experienced. They didn't need Rondell Walker, and I still think he played in most games at like four or five minutes a clip. You add that to this team now, and I just, on paper, I struggle to not overreact. Yeah, it's 
like when you look at like I can't like we talked about this when we when they brought CJ Nolan. It's like these are like they're getting recruit recruits now. It's not they're not all and I the thing I love. Sorry to cut you off. No, they're four star guys, but they're not like old like flameouts. They're not no. like oh, yeah. sixth year. You finally just couldn't do it at Oklahoma. Like let's come down. Like these are two years. They're Nolan one year, but Nolan one year at Oklahoma. Boom. Oh no, I'm sorry. Nolan was two years. Nolan, Nolan two years at Oklahoma years. comes over. Say um, Walker two years in the Big Twelve comes over like, yeah, and then obviously you get into the Jason Edwards. We already talked about Robert Allen, John Bugs, like, and then they return. Yeah, we you return the best players on your team basically, and it makes it makes it to where you're kind of like, can they just kind of keep doing what they've been doing in Conference USA and do it in the AAC? Because that's what I think. If it works out, if these guys, you know mesh together like why not i mean the talent is there at this point because the only question going into the season was are they going to be able to have the talent and then ross just kind of goes crazy and gets john bugs robert allen jason edwards cj noland and then you just cap it off with rondell walker jr and then you bring back uh reuben jones aaron scott mulai matthew Rol- stone matthew stone like it's like, kind of a team kind of a team like okay and this is the whole thing with the past, as much as I've loved the past six years, right? Yeah. The question for me was always getting to take the next step. They had to take the next step talent wise. Right. That you was can't... where they were going to take it. They were never, they reached their full potential to me at 31st in the country on Camp Palm, top 40 in, in net rating last year, doing it with junior college guys yep. and the guys that you're able to recruit. At the end yep. of the day, you have to go get these high level transfers and all of them might not hit like sure. Nolan Walker, Allen, like they might not all hit, but if two of them hit, yeah, you're looking at guys that could, that can play at a high major level playing at North Texas now playing in the American and being able to compete with Memphis who has a roster full of guys that can play at a high level. I mean, NBA talent year after year. Yeah, like you're like you're you're looking to compete for championships and Memphis is obviously the standard right now for the teams that are remaining. Tulane yeah. is damn good every, every year under RJ under Hunter. Um and we are obviously know what FAU and UAB are at this point. Like Yeah. And we know Andy Kennedy at UAB is going to continue to reload. FAU returns its whole roster. Like this is the step that they needed to take. Yep, from a roster construction uh, standpoint, it wasn't reload with junior college guys. It wasn't reload with low, uh, low major guys. You know, bringing them up uh, to a degree. Like it was, re- add your junior college guys because we know that's what they're gonna do. But then go and get two Big Twelve players, young Big Twelve players, and then an SEC player in Robert Allen. Like, I I think he's just completely. He's done this staff, I, I will say, has reached, has taken this team to a level I didn't think that they would take it in year one, as far as on the paper, on paper goes. Right, right. So here's the question Is this the most talented team North Texas has ever had? You just flipped, flipped the question. That well, I was gonna you ask asked you this question. Me. Yeah, you were going to ask me, but I, I didn't want to answer it first. Look, this is what I said last time we talked about basketball. It is the team that we know the most about going into the year. 
Yeah. Because the last six years have been, well, they got a junior college guy, you know, yeah. Roosevelt Smart, Ryan. Kai. I mean, yeah, Kai, Javion, like these guys. I mean, even Reese, Dredd, like all these pieces that we don't know if they're going to work. And obviously we don't know how this team is going to play. But on paper, we're talking about Aaron Scott, who still might be the best player on the team. Let's not forget Aaron Scott. If you had to pick the best player on the team right now, I'm probably still taking Aaron yeah. Scott. Yeah. Like that's how much I trust him on both sides of the ball and how flexible and versatile he is. Ruben Jones could very well take a huge step forward. Like I feel like there's a lot of his game we haven't even seen. Yep. Sissoko at the five. We've mentioned him. Like we saw him for a playing season. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> like all we've seen seen was the NIT. Yeah. And he was awesome. So then you go down the list and you're like, how does this team like if this team struggles, how are they struggling? Yeah. And obviously it, there's a transition point, obviously, as we know, but it seems like on paper, how can you not say this is the most stacked roster at least of the past decade? I mean, before that. You know the history before that. I mean, Tony Mitchell is that is that what we're just gonna hold? That's probably just, just hang that up there. Is that? Yeah. I mean, does that just raise it to another level? Again, if we say ever, it just feels definitive. And I no, like it does. I agree. Somebody, if somebody has something in like. Well, here's the thing, though. You're in a conference that's better, and you now have one of the most talented teams in the conference. Yes. Um, and when you when you look at it that way, to me, that I mean. It's got to be. We'll say last 10 years, though. We'll say last 10 years. Yeah. Um, they were competing. Like, they were beating F- UAB last year with a roster that, in my opinion, was less talented. I mean, how many they times? Beating, they were close to beating FAU. They lost. But they were close to beating FAU tw- two times with a roster that had significantly less offensive talent than this. This is, this is what you and I have always said. And it's not a knock on North Texas players because obviously it worked. It's like, what if Grant had those players? Yes. I mean, that's that's like a conversation, Bruni, where it's like, what if he had Jelly Walker? Who knows? Obviously, Tyler Perry's great, but Jelly Walker's more dynamic. And you just said FAU, same type of thing. It even goes to I, – I even I think even beyond the P- Tyler Perry and Javion Hamlets, like you give those guys their due. Like obviously, James Reese. And again, it's worked. It has completely yeah, worked. That's why I'm not trying to make it sound negative. Yeah. No, no. Yeah, I think you worded it well. Is it worked – but now I think going to the American forces your hand and this, I think if Grant was the head coach still, it would be the same thing. They would have accumulated high, high major talent. You have to. It's kind of just forces your hand into a, to a degree. So that's why I feel comfortable saying this is the most talented roster I've seen because not only are they known commodities, but your hand was forced because you can't go into the American as again, the last four years, they could have competed in the American. I'm not saying they couldn't compete, but we saw last year you kind of reach your absolute limitation in the regular season and you drop a game here, you drop a game there because maybe it's just it's hard to uphold that standard for 40 games. Like we right. say that every year. It's hard to uphold that. Two years ago, remember, when they were offensively inept to a degree and had to play the best defense in the country. yeah. yeah. Like you reach your ceiling, you lose to Kenneth Lofton in a game where you score thirty five points. Like the the ceiling is just lower in those situations. 
I don't have a question about this team's ceiling anymore. This team could go. This team could do what FAU did last year. Yeah. This team could make a damn run in the tournament for all I know. Yeah. I don't know. But the the ceiling is is there now. The the talent is there, and that's what's exciting. Here's a question for you because you already kind of said it. What are the way too early expectations now? Like, do we have to tie expectations to this, to the talent that they have? And with their, obviously there's a coaching transition, but with there not really being that much of a transition in terms of the big picture. I'm interested to see how well Nolan and Walker come in and shoot the ball. From us, uh, just on a separate point, because we already know what Buzz yeah, yeah. is going to do, shooting the ball, and Edwards and Scott, uh, those two are interesting because if they can shoot, oh, God. Here's here's what I like most is that they're getting ball handlers. Yes, they have guards. They have guards, and it's not Ooh. like, you know, where you have like a six two guard, six one guard, five ten guard. Obviously, Jason Edwards isn't the tallest guy, but you bring in C.J. Nolan, who I think is what six four. Uh, uh, I'm not, I don't. I don't think he is actually. I looked up. I, thought I looked six up. Two. Maybe six two. I looked up. So I thought I looked up somebody. He's uh, Rondo Walker is six five. Yeah. So it's like you're Senior. getting. Yes. Okay. So Senior is six three. Point is, is I feel like you're getting taller guys. You're getting phys- more physical guys, and not only that, like like you, we've been saying constantly this whole podcast, talented. Yeah. Like they were highly rated prospects. I went to TCU, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State for a reason. Um, so for me, I feel like you have to enter with high expectations. So the conference, just to recap for everybody who doesn't know, yep. Memphis, I assume to be the, well, Memphis and FAU to me are the top two, as far as like, based off what they did last year, uh, based on they returning their coaching staffs, like based on them, you know, having the infrastructure, I think those are the top two teams, um, Memphis and FAU. UAB has reloaded pretty well under Andy Kennedy. I am not going to get to the specifics. I don't know the specifics, but Andy Kennedy UAB is is up there. Uh, Tulane was good last year. They lose their best player in Jalen Cook. We'll see if they can rebuild. I think Tulsa is going to be a really, really, really tough team. Really tough team this year. So Tulsa, throw them in the mix. But I think North Texas, the expectation now at this point is top three. Yes. Top three. Yeah, I'll give you FAU and I'll give you Memphis. Top three. Yeah, I agree. And not only that, I think you can chase an FAU. Memphis might be reaching a little bit, but I think you well, can I, chase we have an to FAU. see what Memphis has because every year Memphis overhauls. Their, they don't have Kendrick Davis anymore. They no, they I know, but it's they, still they, they, you. Yeah. You're still dealing with a Penny Hardaway recruiting. Yeah, you know thing. Yeah. So I completely agree. I mean, it's weird because it almost seems unfair. But why is it unfair if they're doing such a good if they the found it's crazy how good the foundation has been built up to this point and how primed it was for them to make that jump to the AAC? I'll tell you another thing is I am just so excited to go to the Charleston Classic. Yeah, when is that again? <laughs> um, I believe it's let me you told me it was like November 16, 17, 19. So November oh, yeah. 16th. And I think I was just going to go to the first two days. So 16, 17. Because mm. then there's a day off, I think. And then the 19th, I don't know what it is. But regardless, Dayton, Houston, LSU, North Texas, St. John's, Towson, Wake Forest, and Utah. Like, <laughs> like even if you just give me a Wake Forest and Dayton games. Well, here's this too. is like when you look at that tournament, 
it's a bigger tournament. You look at the last five people who went with college Charleston win, but before that, St. Bonaventure, Florida, Virginia Tech, Villanova, Temple, Virginia, like big schools. Yeah. No, exactly. So I'm just saying, you give me two games out of that. I um, those are if you win one of them, it's a it's a you know resume builder. Like if they beat if they beat LSU, if they beat Dayton, if they beat Wake. Yep. Immediately, you're again. We're gonna start talking about this team in terms of at large potential. We also have to look at too is when you look at the AC, like they, if they played them, obviously they played if they played a Memphis, but like if they play any of these teams last year, it's the same type of thing. It's like oh, this is a resume builder. Yes. Like if they play a we can start SMU. building the resume now. Yeah. That's the thing. That's it's it's different. It's very yeah. different. Now, do I think the Americans gonna get three teams in the conf in the NCAA tournament? No. Which no. is why you'll have to if you are an at large, you're gonna have to probably win the regular season or come in second the regular season and go from there. But that these are the resume wins before the conference that could also catapult you in. Get we'll you see in. how the full schedule fills out. But I'm excited. Me too. All right. Um, anything else? No. Nope. That's it. All right. Um, that's all we got for y'all today. Hope y'all enjoyed the episode. Loaded episode, man. June 21st, putting out content. Colin, look at us. Wow. Um, we will continue with this <laughs> opponent preview series <laughs> over the uh, – trying to get one a week for the foreseeable future, basically, until we get closer to the season. So we hope you all enjoyed this episode. Hope you all learned something about SMU. Thank you to Billy for coming on and talking to us. Um, leave us a five-star rating review wherever you're listening. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Um, follow us on Twitter right there, Green Room UNT. Um, also, just a reminder, we're all of our podcasts over the summer are on the Republic of Football um, podcast network with Dave Campbell. So shout out to them. Check us out over there if you're looking for us on the audio side. So. Colin Mitchell, I'm Matthew Bruni. We will talk to you all later.